And so it is called a year of grace. We're going to look back at this year a little bit. Um, but today, being New Year's Eve, reminded me of a joke I read while I was reading or while I was preparing for this. So there's a young girl in Sunday school on Christmas, and the Sunday school teacher goes through the Christmas story with them and shares Jesus' birth and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds. And she says, now, who do you think the most important woman in the Bible is? And the little girl said, Eve. And she said, Eve? Why would it be Eve? She said, because there's two of them. There's Christmas Eve and there's New Year's Eve. (laughs) Two Eves. So she must be very, very important. So thought that was humorous. All right, let's do a year in review, guys. Let's challenge ourselves as we get started here. Let's look back on 2023 and ask yourself, what kind of year was it? Did I grow closer to God this year? Did I speak like a child of God? Were my words kind and loving? Did I act with love? Was I a reflection of God's goodness? Jesus says we should be salt and light. Salt purifies and flavors. Did we purify the world around us? Did we add flavor to our circle of influence in a good way? Were we light in the darkness, as Jesus says we should be? And did I bear fruit? Now, I don't need you to answer that question, because if I answered them, I wouldn't be happy with the answers I gave. Um, But it is an interesting thing whenever we have the end of the year and we look back. So what we have here is the parable of the barren fig tree Peter just read, and it is a short one. Luke chapter 13, now there's a couple of parables about fig trees in the Bible, in the gospel, and in this one, Jesus says an important message, and it's an important message actually about repentance and about how we have more time. It's very short. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came and looked for the fruit and found none. Now, uh, he said to the vine dresser in his vineyard, It's been three years. Every year I come looking for fruit and there's no fruit. Get this tree out of here. And he answered him, sir, leave this tree alone one more year. I'll dig around it, fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you should cut it down. So there's something we should learn about fig trees if we're going to understand this parable correctly. Number one, whenever they do bear fruit, they bear fruit first before the leaves come out in the spring. So if there's leaves, it's a failed fruit year, okay? So right away, when you see leaves, you know it's not bearing fruit that year. Um, The fruit can take up to three years to appear. Trees in vineyards were costly. They took a lot of water. They took a lot of space. You're growing vines to grow grapes to make wine, and a tree in the middle of it takes a lot of space and a lot of water and a lot of fertilizer, And as the owner of the vineyard said, don't let it deplete the soil. So that's definitely a concern. It also takes laborers to pick all of the fruit. So if there's no fruit, it's a failed tree, and a failed tree means no return on investment. And that's why God uses the analogy of fruits and vines and trees and stuff a lot, because to the people that he spoke to, it's a language they understood. It's something very, very common. 
in their world. If we look at John 15, it says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he, that bears fruit, he prunes so that it can bear more fruit. You see the analogy here. If you're a waste, God doesn't need you. If you're producing fruit, he's going to prune you so you can produce more fruit. And that means he's going to work on us like a potter works on a, on a pot. He pushes and, and mends the clay to make it what the potter wants to make into a masterpiece. And that's what he does with us. So it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And those are key words. If a man does not remain in me, he will be thrown out and the branch withers and they will gather them and throw them into the fire to be burned. What a sobering analogy of what we're supposed to be doing with our lives and with the time that we have. So let me pray for our, the rest of our sermon real quick. Heavenly Father God, as we dive into all of this material that is in this short little parable Open our, eye, our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to feel what you have for us today. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, so looking back at 2023, we see I have an image of a rearview mirror here. Uh, as we look backwards into 2023, did you achieve what you wanted to in 2023? Did you get that raise? Did you get that promotion? Did you finish your education? Did you... Make that move you wanted to? Did your children achieve what you wanted them to achieve this year? Maybe so, maybe not. It's, um, it was a tough year. As you look back, you may, your review mirror may look more like this. A bumpy, rocky dirt road, right? It was a long, a long hard year. A lot happened in your life and globally. Globally, it was crazy. I mean, I got a long list here. We got China flying spy balloons over the U.S. that we shot down. We got the government declaring UFOs are real, and Mexico even brought a body to their Congress, right? Artificial intelligence took off in the mainstream with ChatGPT4, which is changing the world. There's several coups in Africa, including the Nigerian president, Mohamed Bazoum, was removed from office by their military, there was a Sudanese civil war. There were Canadian wildfires. Remember that? There was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There was Hamas's brutal attack on Israel leading to the war against Hamas. There were earthquakes, 7.8 magnitude in Turkey and Syria, leaving 60,000 people dead. 6.8 in Morocco, leaving 3,000 people dead. And a 6.3 in Afghanistan, leaving 1,400 people dead. Ocean Gate's Titan submersible imploded during an expedition to the Titanic. Remember that one? Globally, it was the hottest year on record. We had a regional banking collapse in California. The Hawaii wildfires burned 17,000 acres of land, seemingly out of nowhere. California saw its first hurricane in 84 years, and President Trump became the first U.S. president with a mugshot, ironically bolstering his campaign. Isn't that weird? So the, the birthing pains that Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 24 are getting more and more frequent, more and more frequent, and we are getting closer and closer to the end of the age. 
So there's a lot to deal with. Additionally, we have the things in our personal lives that we did or didn't achieve. I preached a while back about feeling guilty about things that we've done in our past and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And that's an important message, something important for Christians to remember. But after the sermon, our own Joseph Porter, a member of our family, he's, he said, you know, as you get older, what's even more regrettable is not the things you've done, but the things that you haven't done, the things that you wanted to achieve but didn't. It sticks with you the most. Races you wanted to finish, milestones you wanted to reach, things you wanted to do for your kids and weren't able to do. And you may have a lot of regret in this area. It's a burden that's hard to bear. And like most burdens, it's hard to put down. Jesus tells us to put these burdens down at the altar, and it's, it's easier said than done because we have a memory. And we beat ourselves up about it. It's hard for us to understand because we still have to live with the consequences of our decisions or of our indecisions or failed achievements on earth. Even though we understand God took away the eternal consequence of our actions, we still live with those on earth. So sometimes those get confused. And we forget that God promises to, be, to forgive us. And we have this issue a lot of times. When talking with teenagers, they're like, I don't understand how God can forgive me for what I did. I feel terrible. And I hurt that person. How can God possibly forgive me? It's hard to understand because we feel the guilt and it stays with us. And guys, I got news for us. If we hold on to that guilt... We think that we're doing it out of humility. We're like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm lowly. I need to continue to punish myself for those sins. But in reality, what you're doing is you're not being humble. You're being prideful. How? Because God already says he's forgiven you. Who are you to say that God's not powerful enough to forgive you? He says he forgave you. It's pride if we hold on to the guilt. And that's, that really struck me when I was preparing this. Humility gratefully accepts a pardon that it can never earn and lives to demonstrate that gratefulness. That's grace. Pride says, God may forgive me, but my standard is higher than God's. And Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross may not be sufficient to cover my sins. I must help Jesus pay for this sin by punishing myself. I will continue to carry my shame until I decide that I've paid for it. And that's called penance, punishing yourself for sins you've committed. And there are Christian churches that believe in penance, and it's wrong, and it's not biblical, and it's a distraction from building our true faith. So that leads us to our big idea for today. God's grace is sufficient for my mistakes, my failures, and my missed opportunities. Can we put that big idea slide up and then we'll say it together? Don't have it. The big idea. 
It should be right before the slide that says Ephesians. All right, well, you're just going to have to say it from audible memory, all right? Let's say it together. God's grace is sufficient for my mistakes, my failures, and my missed opportunities. All right, do you believe that? Do you believe God's grace is sufficient for you? Yes, amen. All right, so Jesus allowed the gardener one more year, one more growing season. He gave him a do-over. The gardener may have failed at what he was doing. He gave him another year and another chance, and that is grace. That is undeserved favor, and that's what God says we have. God's grace is giving us more time, more time. More time for what? Repentance. Okay, this parable is about repentance. He speaks about sinning right before that, and he goes into, but you've got more time. Just like a gardener gave uh, uh, the vine dresser another year. We've got more time by God's grace. We do not deserve more time. It's undeserved favor. And we've got more time to do the things that we're supposed to do. We were put on earth for a reason and a purpose. And if your heart's still beating, if you're still sucking wind, you still have a purpose. Okay, I see so many people that forget that. Oh, I've achieved so many things in my life, in my ministry, retiring from my ministry. What does that even mean, retiring from ministry? Like, we're serving God until we meet God. I don't understand this, I'm retiring from ministry thing, but uh, I suppose you could re- retire from a vocational portion of your ministry. Anyway, I digress. We need to remember that every moment we have as we've been placed on here for a reason and a purpose specifically designed for you. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, beginning in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. It's hard to live in these days and serve your purpose. But do not be foolish and understand what the Lord's will is. Seek the Lord's will in your life. You may be a fig tree who has another chance to achieve the goals that the Lord intends for you in your family, in your relationships, even at your job, your financial goals. We've got more time. We're still alive, and let's make the most of it. So let's not forget the greatest purpose we have while on earth is to love God, to show God's love to other people, and to share the message of his son. This is the great commission. It's what Jesus left. It was his final words and what he told us to do. So it is the most important thing, all right? My parents had a plaque hanging in their restroom when I was a little boy, uh, most, most of my childhood, and it said, working for God pays very little, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. Pretty clever, right? Great spot to put it in a restroom, I guess, because you have the time to read and ponder those things before we had cell phones. So that's the thing, though. None of us have retired yet. We don't get our retirement benefits until we get there. And even if you've retired from your vocation here on earth, 
we can still do more for God's kingdom. Okay, and a person who inspires me on that is Frank Smith. Y'all know Frank Smith? He usually sits right back there. They're out of town today, the white-haired gentleman, and his wife is Roseanne, and they do so much for our church, for the orphanage drive. Frank is retired. I think Roseanne is retired as well, and they're pivotal to most of what happens here at EHC, right? Frank is, every week he mows the grass around here um, volunteering in his retirement. Like, that's not what I want to be doing in my retirement, right? I want to be laying on a beach somewhere or something. I don't want to be mowing the grass at church, but that's what he does because he loves God and he loves God's people. And that's inspiring to me. And it may be inspiring to you as well, but that's something that I think we as Christians need to think about a little bit more is what are we doing for God's kingdom with the time that we have? So speaking of my parents and their plaque, you know, it's interesting how you learn things when you're young by watching other people and not by listening to other people, especially kids, right? They don't listen to what you say, but they do watch what you do. And even though my parents told me to not be lazy and do this and do that, I think the most impact on me was watching my mom physically not be able to sit and watch a movie. I'm like, Mom, this new movie came out. You're going to love it. It's right up your alley. It's Perry Mason inspired. You're going to love it, right? She sits down to watch it, and something more important happens, like taking a child to a restroom, reading a child a bedtime story, brushing their teeth, washing my clothes that I could wear to high school the next day. Oh, the buzzer went off. Let me go take care of that because Eric needs the clothes, right? Her own entertainment was always secondary to whatever was needed for the family. And to me, that's kind of inspiring now as I look back on my life, and I'm like, man, entertainment is, I mean, it's not bad in and of itself, but it can certainly be taken out, like way out of, um, you know, the, 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 the what it's supposed to be made for. And in today's world, we have a big problem with that. We've got so much technology now that it, like, life is so much easier than it was 100 years ago, right? And so what do we do with all the extra time we have? We watch TV, and we watch Netflix, and we Netflix and chill, or we spend it on our phones. Um, not everybody, but you can agree with me that this is a big problem in the world, right? Especially, you know, the younger generations. So um, it's something that we need to be very careful about, because entertainment might be a distraction from the reason we were put on earth, especially as Christians. I mean, if you think about it, in a way of speaking, every minute we spend being entertained is a distraction. It keeps us from what we were meant to be doing. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about swiping up on Instagram or Facebook. There's, you know, this, this motion we all do every day, especially young people for hours on end, right? They'll do that. You get that little dopamine hit of that little, little short video and you swipe to the next one. It preloads the next video for you. You don't even have to wait for the next one to buffer. What an amazing thing. So entertaining and it hooks you in for hours and hours, right? And so like God doesn't talk about that, but if it existed, I'm sure he would have. 
But there is someone who talks about that, and it's in a book called The Screwtape Letters. And I don't know if you've read it. It's by C.S. Lewis. And the entire book is, it's one fictional demon writing to his nephew, another fictional demon, on how to keep a new Christian man distracted from pursuing his faith. And if you read it, it is sobering on exactly how right C.S. Lewis got it. And it's all the way back from 1942, before they had cell phones, Instagram, any of that stuff. Okay, I'm going to read you just a very brief excerpt. I'll skip down. This is um, Screwtape telling his nephew, Wormwood, you can make him waste his time, not only in conversation he enjoys with people he likes, but in conversation with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. All right, like talking on the phone, texting people, We do that same thing. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night. Are you listening, teenagers? You can keep him up late at night, not roistering or having a good time, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All that is healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return so that at last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. What a waste of a life. And then skipping down a little more. The only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate that man from the enemy, which is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Small little sins, small little distractions to edge us further and further and further away from God. And that really hit home with me when we were singing worship and I got 10 junk emails on my phone, right? And my pocket's going off. And I'm like, is that somebody in the booth texting me? So I have to check, distracting me from worshiping God, right? And so it happens to all of us. Now, there's one more thing. I've neglected to put it on this slide, but the last sentence of this letter this is screw tape letter 12. It says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot with sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. It's the gradual one. The gradual one that distracts us from what we're supposed to be doing, pursuing God and pursuing your relationship. So we need to take a serious look at what we do with our time. And this is a good time to do it as we go into a new year. I used to hear my neighbor talk about, you know, we'd talk about mowing grass and stuff. And he would say, man, I'm not mowing my own grass. I don't have the time. My time is too valuable to pay somebody else $35 to mow the grass for an hour. I'm like, but what are you doing with your time? You're not even a Christian. You don't go to church. You just watch football all day or whatever, you know, play, play video games. Well, grown men playing Xboxes. Something that I don't understand. All right. But they do that. Instead of mowing their grass, like how do you not have time to mow your grass? Your time is not that valuable. It seems silly. So now there's nothing wrong with some entertainment by itself, especially, you know, family movie night and things like that. But let's just keep it in perspective. Every minute that you spend entertained is a minute you might be wasting from fulfilling the purpose God has for you. So let's don't miss this, okay? If you're a Christian and you have that 
If you are a Christian, then you have been bought with a price. You have been bought with a price, and that's from 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, and you are bought with at a price. Now, don't miss this either, because God paid for us and paid for our bodies. You also have a specific purpose in his kingdom designed just for you to fulfill. Just for you. It's not like you can just fill any role. God's got one designed just for you and your particular set of skills. Okay, John, 1 John 4.19, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's got a job waiting for you to fulfill. Every one of us, if you're a Christian, you have a job description waiting for you to fulfill it. You may be fulfilling it right now, and it may change over time. Like you may be a mother of small children right now, and your job is to raise them into knowing the Lord. And then later, you may, when they grow, you, your job description may change. But either way, God has a job description for you, so let's don't forget that. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, physically challenged or an acrobat. A business executive or an entry-level employee, the Lord has a purpose for your life, and it's not to earn a living and be entertained. And earn a living and be entertained. It's to bring others into the kingdom in whatever manner he has planned for you. Okay? This is real, real important that we understand this as Christians. So how do we work for the kingdom? What do we need to do? Back to John 15. John chapter 15, verse 16. We have a slide on this. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you. And he's speaking to his disciples. I appointed you. that You should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that the Father may give you whatever you ask him in my name. This I command you, to love one another. So we have to love one another because we've been chosen to. We've been appointed to. When you become a Christian, your job description is written. Okay, so this is what we've got to do. Now, how do we do it? Well, it begins with prayer for God to lead us into our, posi- our designated position he's designed for us. And so we do have a couple of steps, and we're going to follow the example that the vine dresser provided Jesus. This is what I will do to bear fruit. And so it's the I apply by for this message. Number one, you dig around it. You dig around it. You prepare for the fruit to come. You dig the soil, you roll up your sleeves, you grab your tools, and you get it done. So what does that mean for us? It means make a commitment. Find something that God wants you to achieve and dive into it. And we all know that God's not going to ask us to do something that we can't handle. He's already prepared that job for us to do already. It's designed for us. You're going to fit in that role. I promise you. It's just a matter of saying, okay, God, I'll do it. Let me roll up my sleeves. I'm going to make a commitment, and I'm going to stick to it. And look, this is not a uh, EHC volunteer recruiting sermon, okay? It's not. I promise you. 
All right, we're going to be just fine if nobody changes their volunteer uh, commitments today, although it, you could be blessed and we could also be blessed by you volunteering, just saying. But this is not what it's about, okay? This is about you serving God's kingdom for the rest of your life, okay? Just to be clear. And then set realistic goals on what you want to do by, you know, six months from now. I want to be doing this. I want to be this active. I want to be, you know, consistently attending church, consistently volunteering at the shelter, whatever God has for you. And set realistic goals, not pie-in-the-sky goals, so that they're achievable and minimize distractions. I just found out that Instagram has a time limit on there. You can set a reminder that you've spent too long on it, and my wife and I share the account, so I set it at a 30-minute limit, like scrolling for, you know, entertainment. And it, my wife comes in, she goes, what is this? Why is this telling me to get off of Instagram? I'm like, oh, I put that on there. as a, You can skip it and hit snooze or whatever. It's fine. But um, Anyway, minimizing distractions is something important that we need to evaluate. You know, turn off the notifications if they're not important or something like that. Okay, so um, minimizing distractions and focusing on the time that we're spending away from God's purpose and making sure that we're doing that appropriately. And then the second thing after he said dig around it was to fertilize it. Dig around it and fertilize it. Well, how do you fertilize it? Fertilization is an investment. It's an investment of, well, back then it was dung, but chemicals, you know, whatever, the bag of weed and feed, whatever it is, right? So you're putting nutrients in the soil so that later the tree can grow and use those nutrients. So it's an investment. Invest in your own growth. Feed yourself spiritual food. Get into God's word. Set some you know, timers to remind you to read God's word. Listen to podcasts. Listen to other sermons. That's something I like to do and enjoy is listening to other sermons from other churches. It's just spiritual food. It's like um, fulfilling as spiritual food should be to learn more about God all the time. Invest in your, the fruits of the Spirit with others, the fruits of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? So investing those things in other people, showing them love and patience. And lastly, don't expect results right away. It takes time. Fertilization takes time. Investing yourself in seeing results takes time. And nobody knows this better than the people who work in our children's ministry, right? You work on those kids and you teach them about God's word and you don't even think they're listening half the time. I will tell you, I've, just the last few weeks in teen class, I would ask the teens questions and they were spitting out answers like correct answers this time. And I'm like, y'all are learning. This is great. So it does work. The investment does work, but it does take time. So, you know, prayerful waiting on God to do the work. And the best news is you're not the one doing most of the work when you work for God's kingdom. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
The work we are doing is designed just for us. It's not going to be too much. It's also not going to be too easy. It's going to be challenging. Whatever God has planned for you is just right, and it's just for you. So I'll end with a poem about the new year. It's called, I Am the New Year. I am the new year. I am an unspoiled page in your book of time. I am your next chance at the art of living. I am your opportunity to practice what you have learned about life during the last 12 months. All that you sought and didn't find is hidden in me, waiting for you to search it with more determination. All the good that you've tried and didn't achieve is mine to grant when you have fewer conflicting desires. All that you dreamed but didn't dare to do, all that you hoped but did not will, all the faith that you claimed but did not have, these slumber lightly, waiting to be awakened by the touch of a strong purpose. I am the opportunity to renew your allegiance to him who said, Behold, I make all things new. God, guys, we serve a God whose mercies renew every day. Every day and every month and every year. And we've got another year ahead of us to do amazing things with what God has given us. And all of us have been given very special skills and very special um, um, passions to pursue. And so let's be open to what God has for us. In 1 Peter 4.10, Jesus said each, or excuse me, Peter said, each of you should use whatever you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. You have been given skills and gifts as stewards of God's grace. We're supposed to take the grace and do something with it pass it along to other people. A steward is a person left in charge of a king's valuable assets, and he's responsible to make sure to use them appropriately, and that's what we are. We are a recipient and a steward of God's grace. All right, so I have a big question for you. The extra year of God's grace that the gardener received is also yours. What will you do with it? What will I do with it? It's a big question, and it needs a prayerful answer. Lord, this last year was a gift. For some of it, we did well. For some of it, we squandered the days. And for some of it, others dealt poorly with us. But you have shown us great grace by giving us another year. As stewards of your grace, may we be wise and not unwise. May we work and not be foolish and waste more time. May we let you develop within us character that honors and bears fruit for you, for us, and for your kingdom. In Christ's name, we all together said, amen, amen.